The book of Romans, starting in chapter 11. Remember from our last recording that this section of Romans, kind of right in the middle, chapters 9 through 11, are a little segue from the main message, saying this is for, or this is about, the the Jewish people throughout history. Because the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome were quarreling with each other, um, he was trying to bring unification to these believers. They all believed in Jesus, but they, some of them saw that the law of Moses had to be upheld. Those would be the Jews. And the Gentiles had wanted nothing to do with that, as they said, we're going to completely live by faith. So Paul's explaining to the Jews here that God's choices are sovereign, and throughout history, he has chosen a remnant people and carved them out of the the greater people, and the greater people uh, face judgment, but then he blessed the remnant people. And such a sovereign choice is being made right at this time. And that the only way into the grace of God, the life of God, is through faith, whether or not one keeps uh, particulars of the law of Moses uh, are are inconsequential in the big picture of a life of faith. They can be good and valuable, uh, but to require them is to miss the life of faith. And he pointed out that the law of Moses and the prophets had always pointed to the fact that God would uh, bring his message and his life to all the peoples of the world through the Jews and that, in fact, Jesus had accomplished this, and now they as a remnant people were bringing this. So that catches us up to the beginning of chapter 11, which is the last chapter in kind of this little section. And Paul says, so what does that mean? Has God rejected his people? He says, absolutely not. He says, I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm from the, the uh, tribe of Benjamin. And he reminds them when Elijah felt like he was all alone in Israel, that there was no one else still following God. And God said, I have retained for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So he says, again, it's just another example of the people of God turning away from God, but of God preserving a remnant for himself. So he's always kept his promise, but that doesn't mean everyone that comes from the bloodline or is born into a way of life, if they don't choose him, then they can be cut off. And he has done that many, many times throughout history. And so in 5, he says, In the same way then, there also has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So he says, it's not by works that he has chosen this remnant, but by his sovereign will. And Paul knows they're exasperated. He says, what then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were not, sorry, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. 
So again, he's pointing out in multiple scriptures that this was foretold, that the people would turn away from God. The very uh, story of Israel and Judah turning away from God is a picture of these things. And so 11, Paul says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. By their tr- so in other words, it wasn't pointless that they fell. By their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. So because they have fallen and missed the mark, the Gentiles are able to come into this grace. Now, 12, now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? So he speaks of a promise. If if the Jews, in large part, missing the coming of their Messiah was a huge blessing to the world and specifically to individual Gentiles, how much more of a blessing will it be for us who are not Jewish and for the world itself when the Jews do accept their Messiah? Remember, Jesus said he will not come back until those people uh, are, are, sorry, I'm not, I can't quote it, but till they hunger to see him, till they hunger to accept him. But Paul says, I'm not just speaking to the Jews here. I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. So he says, I, you know, the Lord has sent me to the Gentiles. He would always go to the Jews first. And he would always get some of them. Uh, some of them would accept the word. Uh, most of them in general would would say no. And then he would turn to the Gentiles, and many more Gentiles came. And he knew that was his ministry, that was his purpose. And he says, I, I magnify that. That's that's to God's glory. And I pray that I move them to jealousy so that they also come. 15, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So we know God transforms us from death to life. He's talking about an entire people. An entire world transforming from death to life. This is a really important event being described here in this chapter. 16. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. So he's beginning to describe a holy tree. And he goes on, 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for your unbelief but you stand by your faith. Sorry, they were broken off by the, for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. A lot of people hold to some theologies that say that that is impossible, but their theologies don't stand up to the scripture. Paul says a warning. We need to check ourselves, make sure we are walking with God. And we very easily can turn away from God if we miss what he's doing, which is what Paul was saying the Jews in large part had done. They had missed what God was doing and they were broken off of his tree. So in the same way, we do not want to miss what God is doing in our day. And... So he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. Sorry, to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. 
If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So he's saying this life of God is a tree. And the the Gentiles have been, we have been grafted into the tree that was already there before us. And so then we receive this life of God because we are now grafted to the tree. The Jews who did not. And so let me be clear. There's a lot of bad theologies that have come up over time because people couldn't make sense of what they saw going on. They saw Israel no longer a country for many centuries, and so they created theologies. Yet some people, um, you know, Paul is quite clear here that if a Jew does not accept his Messiah, that he is not saved. There's no alternate way besides Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and there is no other way. So it is very unkind thing to think, oh, Jews are fine because they have their uh, promises of uh, Moses. No, the promises of Moses pointed to the coming Messiah. And if they miss the coming Messiah, they miss it just like a Gentile who misses Jesus misses it. There is only one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus. So as a Gentile, you've been grafted in. But don't think somehow be haughty and somehow you're better than Jews. You should be humble, for God's grace has grafted you into his tree, and you are wild. And if a Jew who has been brought up in the ways of Moses is grafted in, he is grafted in much more easily and much more beautifully than us Gentiles because he was made to do this. And if you know many Messianic Jews, it's it's wonderful, the rich understanding they have of things because the whole New Testament, we don't realize it. Hopefully I'm um, elaborating on some of that through these messages, but it's the whole New Testament is just quoting the Old Testament. It's just giving fresh understanding to what was already there. And so that's common to see a Messianic Jew who brings life to the understanding of what we have because they know where it comes from. Not that that matters either, but I mean, he's pointing it out as being a special, beautiful thing that fits quite well in the tree. 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. So remember, he talked about uh, Pharaoh's hardened heart before. Now he says that same thing has happened to Israel, so that by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, that God would bring in the Gentiles until the time of Gentiles is fulfilled. And I, I, I'm here to say we are. Uh, this is around our time. I'm not putting a particular date on it, but these things, these changes are happening now. And he says, just as it is written. So and I think I got 26 in there. So all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So all all the Jews will come to embrace the Lord Jesus, their Messiah. 
Um, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Um, the deliverer will come from Zion. We talk about Mount Zion a lot, uh, his holy mountain. And Jesus will bring them their freedom, will fulfill everything they've ever come to worship and understand, and they will be heartbroken, devastated, but worshiping and grateful. And it will be a blessing to the world. 28. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So I, I think that's where people get the idea that Jews can't, uh, you know, Jews are fine just because it says gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. But just a few verses up, he basically said they are cursed if they don't accept their Messiah. So I don't understand that way of thinking, but it's common out there. Uh, for just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. So just as he started this this letter, saying, explaining how separately Gentiles uh, were in their death and sin and needed God. And, and the Jews, even though they had the law, were still stuck in sin and death and needed Jesus, their Messiah. He's bringing that back around to say, we were all in our disobedience. So you Gentiles, you were in your disobedience and you needed God's mercy. So the same with them. They're in their disobedience and he plans to show mercy to all. And Paul just kind of ends this last paragraph in worship. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So he just says, look, all these things are beyond our understanding. Uh, Paul was clearly shown by the Spirit that the Jews would all come in the last days, would come to acknowledge and worship the Lord Jesus and would be crafted back in. He made that very clear in this chapter. Um, but he, he says, who are you to try to judge it? Who am I to try to judge it? He, I mean, he started, I, don't th- I think it was a couple of chapters back, but he's, he said, I'm in agony and prayer for my fellow Jews. I would give up my salvation if they could have it. But he says, that's not the will of God. In his ways, his wisdom, his judgments are unfathomable to us. They are far greater than us. How, who are we to judge him? We're not his counselor. He is above us, and his ways are mighty, and they are good. And these are his ways. And then we're on to chapter 12. This is a very short but wonderful chapter. It's amazing how many kind of famous verses are in this tiny little chapter. And it starts from the top. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I, I didn't mention it other than I did at the beginning, but now he's back into... He, he, this, this book is, is primarily a presentation of the gospel. Um, and there's this just interlude about the Jews, which again, as I stated yesterday, 
also applies directly to people of God today. It's the same application that anyone can miss the mark and and miss what God is doing. If we're not living by the Spirit in worship of Him, we can miss the mark of what He's doing. And so that at that in that day that applied to the Jews. In our day, and in, in, in the bigger picture that I've just finished talking about, that certainly applies to the Jews. But in our day, it, it certainly we can look inwardly and say, Lord, am I living for you or not? But then we're going to continue on, and he's just going to talk about the glory of living for God, of God's, God's reality and purpose in our lives. He says, based on the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. He said, this is worship. This is your spiritual service, that you present your life to God. You're, you're presenting your body. That means here, here I am, God. Here's, here's my life. What I do with it is yours that is worship. If we're doing that, we have no worries of missing out on anything. But of course, the world is constantly screaming at us to give our life to it. Whereas God is quietly saying, give your life to me and I will fill it beyond measure. You will be filled with more joy and peace and wonder than you can even imagine if you just give me your life. So Paul says, do it. Give your life. That is your spiritual service of worship to and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, don't live the way that this world lives. Don't be working to be relevant to the world. That's such a that's such a false dichotomy. This we I, I've got to be more like the world so that I can attract them. You know what would really attract them? If you spent your time worshiping the Lord, growing in the Lord, growing in wisdom, so that you are filled with His glory, so that they can see the glory of God on a person, and then they will want nothing more than to have that for themselves. That's how you touch somebody. That's what we're called to do. So don't be conformed to this world, no matter what the fad is of what they're calling us to be or do today. Conform ourselves to Him. Worship Him. And He will transform you by renewing your mind so that you're continually thinking in new and different ways. You're thinking the way He thinks instead of the way your fallen flesh thought or the way the world thinks. And in doing this, you prove what the will of God is. The will of God is seen through your life, and it's seen as good and acceptable and perfect. And all creation can see how good it is through the way he has transformed your life because you gave yourself to him. Three, for for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he just said this, I think it was just in the last chapter. He said, be humble, humble yourself. If you start thinking that you're anything, if you're important in any way, or that God needs you for anything, you're off track. 
humble yourself. Seek the Lord, and he will help humble you. <laughs> if you're open to it, he will keep you humble. If you're open to him, he will He will bring you humility if you need it. But no one needs God. God can always raise up another for me or for you. But if we worship him and humble Him ourselves, he will rise us up and use us in the way he deems necessary. Which may be that no one has ever heard of you. And that's okay. Worshiping God is far greater than anything else. And if he uses you to touch thousands, so be that too. Who cares? As long as you're worshiping God and serving him, obeying him in the way he calls, he is blessed. He is glorified in that. In this, you can be led into sound judgment. And as God allots each one a measure of faith. So we have a measure of faith based upon God's allotment, based upon our growth and maturity. And so, you know, it takes a a certain amount of faith just to become saved, to accept that we need Jesus's death on the cross and blood for our salvation. It takes more faith to take the first step into his kingdom. And each step along the way, God apportions more faith so that we grow and live more and more by faith and less and less by our natural senses and our emotions and our intellect. And God uses each one of us to form a body where each one willingly gives their life to the whole, and he grants each one separate gifts so that as a whole, we form a mighty body of Christ in the world. That each one is different, each one is unique, but because each one has died to him or herself and lived for God, he apportions us grace and gifts in order that we all come together And he is shown as glorious, mighty, wise, and full of all important truth in the world to all creation. There's a similar passage in 1 Corinthians, and uh, and it talks about the importance of love. And, And Paul goes to the same place here. This is all to show the love of God, that we are filled with the love of God, that we lay our lives down because of the love of God, and that the love of God is known to all the world. And so 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. So he's saying that the world, you know, the world has what they call love, and the Pharisees had their very same same thing. I mean, it might look different because it was two thousand years ago, but the Pharisees always kind of tilted things to say, "Well, this should be this because it's best for us." The world today has love. Well, you love someone by letting them do whatever they want and calling it good. Well, no, that's throwing out the truth of God. That's not love. Letting them go off in the wrong direction is not love at all. That's 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 meanness to let them go. And I'm not saying every person you see that going the wrong way that you stop them and start preaching at them. That's not necessarily good. But if you're in their lives, if the Lord leads, offer them truth. That is love. Offer them, lay down your life for those who God calls you to lay down your life for. You lay down your life for him every day, everywhere, no matter what. But as he leads you to lay down your life for another that is love. That's how Jesus defined it. And in that, the grace and the mercy of God flows and the spirit flows and lives are transformed. He says we're devoted to one another. So there's a, this is, again, lost in the church today. There is absolutely in scripture, 
it's clear that we lay our lives down for each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, first and foremost. That's maybe not popular in popular culture. That's not how the world sees love, but that is how love is defined in Scripture. Um, that's not to say we're against others, but it, when, with these, when these verses come up, it's very clearly, first and foremost, uh, being a, a blessing and a help, brotherly love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, not lacking diligence. So giving our all, fervent in spirit. The spirit is leading us and we're continually seeking the, the spirit for his leading, serving the Lord in whatever way he leads us. Rejoicing in hope. So we're full of joy and full of hope that God is doing this thing. He is overcoming in us and in the people that we're fellowshipping with. Persevering in tribulation because we know that God has to bring us through these difficult times in order to make us new. Whether it's us personally, whether it's a person we're fellowshipping with, whether it's us as a body, that this perseverance through the difficult times is important in order that God's will be manifested, devoted to prayer, continually being at one with God, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We give of ourselves in every way for each other. He says in 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If someone comes against you, don't turn around and and be vicious back, but bless them. You know, Jesus said, everyone's nice to their friends, but who can be nice to the one who curses you? Bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Meet people where they are. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. If you, you think you're, you know, maybe you have a, a, a better, like a more privileged background, or I hate to use those words because that's become a hot button. But, you know, that's a... That's a a real thing, and of course, that's always a matter of perspective. But, um, you know, lower yourself, humble yourself, stop thinking if you, whatever you think is important and good about your natural flesh, it's nothing to God. If you, because if you give a full examina- examination of yourself, you know you are completely worthless in the flesh and needing God in every way. So, if someone else seems a little bit worthless to you. Well, look in the mirror. That's you too. Humble yourself and be God's blessing. Lower yourself to the lowly that you can meet them where they are. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. So just because someone hurts you, never try to hurt them back. Never just just let it go. Hand it to the Lord and say, God, thank you for loving me so much. Let it go. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So you can't make someone else be at peace with you. But so far as it's in your power, be at peace with them. 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So leave it to the Lord. If the if vengeance is necessary for someone, and and God will have vengeance on many many people, many many beings, but leave that to the Lord. As for you, just bless them and move on. Your being able to bless them when they are coming at you with rage or hatred is is 
I mean, it's not, it shouldn't even be in your heart that this is what I want to do to hurt them back. But in reality, that will get more hurt by that than anything because they want to invoke rage in you. And when you instead have peace, that will probably, it depends on the circumstance, the person, whatever's going on, but that might really hurt them more than anything else you could have said or done. But more importantly, hopefully, what that does is stirs them up to say, why do they not have the same rage that I have? And maybe they can all of a sudden see the light and turn to the light that you have. And that is it for today. God bless you.